Hello, and welcome to the CEO Blind Spot Show, where leaders reveal their blind spots and best practices. I'm your host, Birgit Camps, and today's guest is Matt McWilliams, who is the CEO of Matt McWilliams Consulting, a company that helps other companies grow faster by showing them how to effectively monetize affiliate programs. Welcome to the show, Matt. Hey, Birgit. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. It's not often that I get an employee who refers me to their boss. Usually, the employee find things that, that they're like, ah, he's not a good boss. In this case, they said, you have to have him on your podcast. Oh, wow. Yeah. So Kate Hughes I've, has been a friend for years. And as you know, she used to be a leader with Ikea and she's worked at universities. So she doesn't give compliments easily. And she was so <laughs> impressed with you because she said, especially right now, so many leaders do not know how to effectively lead remote teams. Mm, yeah. And somehow you do. Now, when I looked at your background, I saw that at one point you were 14th in the nation in college golf. You've been an entrepreneur since 22 years old. In fact, I think you said you were utterly unemployable. That would describe <laughs> me aptly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you've, you've even run for office in North Carolina. Yeah. And, and so I'm looking at your background and I'm going, okay, how does this have anything to do with your current success? Except for then I read a piece where your second company was hometown quotes and you won a prestigious award for doing so well. And then you you admit it in that article that it was too much success at a young age and the company yeah. almost went bankrupt, but you saved it by expanding and, and going into an affiliate program. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of leaders may not know what is an affiliate program. So if you can describe that briefly, and then number two, please let us know what, what do you think is the reason you have succeeded as a leader? Yeah. An affiliate program, I mean, it's for most companies today, it's going to be the fastest, easiest way to scale your business. It's other people were referring people to you. And I mean, this is at its core, right? I'm simplifying this in 30 seconds or less. It is other people referring people to you and you pay them a percentage of the sales. You pay them a commission. The concept's been around for thousands of years. We just added technology to it about 25, 30 years ago. And so, yeah, for us, we were at a point in crisis where we literally couldn't pay payroll in two weeks and we needed a solution. And I was like, what about an affiliate program? And we all looked at each other like, what does that even mean? I'm like, well, it's like people who promote you, but then you don't pay until after a sale is made. And for a company that was strapped for cash flow. That was a pretty big deal and spent the last 17 years now, hopefully getting pretty close to perfecting that model and, and now teaching other people how to do it. And to answer the question about how did I get to this point where somebody like Kate, who's a, you know, somebody we just hired a few months ago would say those things. I mean, gosh, it's kind of one of those things. Like I, I think the, the combination of imposter syndrome and also just acknowledgement of my past mistakes kind of makes me go, really that like she said that, you know, that's kind of cool because I think I got here by being an idiot and by, making a lot of mistakes. You know, I got, we had a lot of business success at a very young age. As a 22 year old, I made more money than I knew what to do with. I was paying my mom 250 bucks a month in rent and bringing in, you know, $5,000 a week as a, as a golf instructor and running a business with my dad and that and learning how to do online marketing. And then fast forward and yeah, we won all those awards. What the story that I, I don't tell necessarily because it's not relevant for most of my audience to that you know, is we did that despite my limitations. I had a great business partner, Hunter, my best friend to this day, who was CEO. And I called him the cleanup crew. His entire job became cleaning up the damage that I caused. You know, it's like the, he was like the the Red Cross coming in after a tornado. I had a temper. I was fair. I had a massive ego because I was 26 years old and 
I had everything you could possibly want. I had a big office. I had ran a company. We were successful. I had 15 people reporting to me. All the things, a nice car and a nice place to live. Like all the things I didn't grow up with when I was a young kid living with a single mom. All the things that I saw from the people that I, it's weird because I have a really weird background because I grew up with a single mom who worked three jobs and never made more than $38,000 in a year. Then I moved to live with my dad right as his career took off. Next thing you know, I'm running through Dolly Parton's screen door. True story. And I had like these weird things because I got exposed to both extremes of the socioeconomic spectrum. And I knew what I didn't want and what I did want. And so what happened was I made all these mistakes and I thought, man, I've made it and I get to act like I've made it. And so, yeah, I mean, the reason we're able to be successful today, and I, I believe that, yeah, I'm a pretty decent leader today is because of all the stupid stuff that I did, Birgit. I mean, it was just, a. Dis- I mean, you have no idea how much of a disaster I was in my mid twenties. What was the aha moment where you knew that you had a blind spot as a leader and that you weren't a good leader? There were two. You would think it would have been all the times that Hunter had to bring me into his office and say, dude, (laughs) can you please stop doing this? But he would also be the first to acknowledge. He he and I were talking about a year ago and he said, but the reality is, Matt, you got stuff done. We were talking about the the concept of a visionary and an integrator, you know, from Gino Wickman. And he's like, oh, you're an integrator. And I'm like, actually, no, I'm not. He's like, really? I said, I'm just really adaptable. said, Mm -hmm. I was an integrator there because he was like, yeah, but you've got a lot of visionary too. And he was, we were talking about that. He's like, yeah, but you were the guy who got things done. I'm like, that's because that was the role I was forced into. And it's not my natural role. My natural role is actually the visionary and I'm a terrible executor. That's why mm-hmm. I hire people to execute. <laughs> yes. But we were talking about that and the you would think it would have been that the two kind of wake up calls that it's one of those things like the older I get, the better the books I read 10 years ago are the older I get, you know, my dad passed away yeah. 17 years ago. The older I get, the smarter my dad was, the older I get, the more I learned in college, you know, <laughs> all those people, my sports psychologist, my, my in college kind of rolled my eyes at a lot of stuff he said back then. It's amazing how smart he is today. And one of them was, we were reading the five dysfunctions of a team by Patrick mm-hmm. Lencioni as a team in 2008. And I realized that one of the reasons why I acted the way that I acted was actually insecurity. That was the first one that was kind of a wake up call, but it took me a couple of years to process that. The second one was I then before and after that first entrepreneurial experience, I worked with some leaders that had strengths and weaknesses like everybody. And I was very perceptive of what they were. And I started creating a playbook for a do this, don't do that kind of model. Mm-hmm. Like don't ever do this. That time my boss did this nearly caused me to quit. So don't mm-hmm. do that. Okay. How could he have done it differently? Well, if I were him or if I were a good leader, what would, it was not if I were him, if I were a good leader, what would I do? I would have done this. Ooh, that thing he did. I love that. And so I started learning these things, like the, you know, the little things like buying birthday gifts for your team, $20 on Amazon doesn't have to be a $5,000 purchase. Yeah. You know, but it's meaningful. Yeah. And those types of things, like I learned that from a, a specific leader, I learned the importance of recognition. So, you know, we created awards and I learned the importance of one-on-ones. You know, I learned the importance of one-on-ones. I had one leader who did them and I realized, well, that's the best leader I ever had. So I started doing them with my team, you know, back in 2009. And I realized like that, that just that 20 minute connection one-on-one every two weeks was huge. And we don't talk about work. We just talk about life. We talk about goats and things like that's a theme with our team. It's, we, we talk about goats all the time. It's weird. And we like, we just talk about life and family and fun stuff and all that plans for the weekend and things like that. And those were kind of the two things that, that led to where I'm at today. Huh. So then when it comes to effectively leading remote teams where you don't usually have the natural connection, yeah. do you think it's because of those 20 minutes or, I mean, and, and then how do you get things done if during those 20 minutes, you only talk about non-business stuff? 
Well, we still have team meetings where we get the business done. We still have Slack and whatever you happen to use for your business. It doesn't suck. It's not the tool you have to use. We still have Asana as a project management tool. We still communicate in a purely business sense, Yeah. but you don't have the water cooler. You don't yeah. have that built in, like stumbling upon somebody for five minutes where you just chat about life. You know, right. the water cooler, nine times out of 10, you talked about the game last night or how the kids are doing or this yeah. crazy weather or something that happened in the news. And oh my God. Gosh, you went to, did you go to the concert last night? I did. Oh, really? How did I not see you? We were like, oh my gosh, you know, you talk about stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You don't have that with this. It's not built in. So you have to, in a sense, you have to make it less spontaneous and more planned. So we, we reserve five minutes. It's a, it's a loose time. Sometimes it's seven. We reserve five or seven minutes at the beginning. Every Monday meeting that we have each department, we spend five or seven minutes just talking about what we did this weekend. And you learn so much. Like I noticed like one guy on the team, I noticed that they spent a lot of time going going to local farms that had in the fall, they go and they do the hay rides and they do the, you know, they paint the pumpkins and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, I'm gathering that he likes to go outdoors just from talking about random stuff like that. Yeah. So you have to build that into the rhythm. You have to allow for that at the, uh, you know, at the beginning of meetings, and then you still get the business done. You still get the work done. We have rules, if you will. I hate that term sometimes, but we have rules and procedures around how we use Slack and how we communicate in Slack and how we communicate in Asana. Like, like you don't ask questions about a task in Slack. You ask them in Asana in the task itself and things like that, that streamline that. But that those rules actually allow us like everything outside of those rules. You get to go in the team chat and post the fact that, hey, look at my picture with my kids this weekend. Like, you know, look at his silly face, and maybe, you know, whatever. It's like you get to do stuff like that. And it really uh, helps bring people together. Yeah. Well, that explains Kate's statement that you provide a great balance between processes and the freedom to get things done and that the culture empowers and encourages people, which this day and age, especially remote, it seems like everyone's focused on what's still needs to get done or what's wrong. Mm-hmm. So however you're doing it, it is it is not just a talk, it's you're walking it. And, and that's great. And thank you for sharing because the details of it are really helpful. And so as we start to wrap up the show, you know, a lot of people have been through crisis. And and I know you just explained one of your own, right? Where you almost went bankrupt with that company. Yeah. Do you have a tip that you can share with leaders as far as how to make it through? I'll tell you the, the best one to is to kind of avoid it on the front end. One of the best books I have ever read. It's uh, Jim Collins, Great by Choice. And he, you know, he talks about like navigating through crises is done before you're in a crisis. Yes. You know, it's done before you're there. You and I were joking beforehand that when we hit COVID and all that happened, like we already had a completely remote world workforce. I'd yeah. been remote for so long. It had zero effect on our business whatsoever in terms yeah, of yeah. work. I mean, it was like, what are you doing tomorrow? The same thing I would have done if there wasn't COVID, but I work from home for eight or nine hours and then go do something else. <laughs> you know, like yeah. it, that was about it. Like, and you can say that and go, well, I know not everybody's in that situation. So to navigate a crisis, I mean, we still didn't know what was happening. There was still about a six week period. If you remember where fear was the predominant emotion, Yes, you know, eventually it actually was really good for online business because people were now online more. But there yeah. was about a four to six week window where our revenues tanked. We were in the middle of a huge promotion when they shut down the country. Mm-hmm. And we went, like our goal, I'll just give you some numbers. Our goal was 750 sales. We were about halfway through and 
we were at 480. So we were over halfway toward the goal, halfway through. We're like, we're going to kill this goal. Woo! We ended up doing 507 sales. We only did 27 sales from that point forward mm. because it was when the whole country shut down. And what do people do when there's fear? I used to always talk about the Great Depression before 2020. When the Great Depression happened, there were people, mostly men back then, who wouldn't even go look for a job just because they were depressed. And all of a sudden, 2020, it was like, we just, we were paralyzed. Is pumping gas going to kill me? I don't know. Right, right. You know, we don't know. We don't know. So we better just hoard money. And so I, I just met with the team and I said, hey, listen, guys, we don't know. I wish I had the answers, but I don't. I just, I don't have the answers. We're going to be figuring this out as we go. So for us, what we did was we said, we also acknowledge the fact that you guys don't have a social network right now in place. So we're going to have, instead of doing, you know, a once a week team meeting, uh, like we do normally do, we're actually going to do a daily stand-up meeting as a team. And let, guys, if we need to, we're going to schedule for 15 minutes. If we need to spend the whole 15 minutes just telling jokes and goofing off, then we're going to do that. We can figure out the work thing later, but we need to make sure, make sure that we're a community for each other. And we're going to navigate through this together. I don't have all the answers, but we'll figure them out as we go. And it was a time that really rallied our company together because we had a common mission to get through this difficult time. We didn't know if it was going to be four weeks, six weeks, 12 weeks, whatever, but we knew revenues were dramatically down and we pulled together as a team and, and had those daily meetings. And yeah, sometimes they, they turned into a two minute rush at the end to talk about business because we spent the first 13 minutes sharing what was going on in our lives, goofing off and, and having fun together. And and then that could have been your positive blind spot, right? That you knew the importance of community and staying connected socially. So yeah. Talking to you today because you obviously made it through very successfully. It was it was rough. It was rough for about six months actually, but we came out on the flip side better than ever. Yeah, and uh, and it sounds to me like if a lot of companies might be able to, how did you say it, prevent crisis by by looking at hey, do I have enough online presence? And maybe mm. I should consider affiliate program. I'm just saying it seems like that's something that most companies should consider to prevent any future crisis. Yeah. Well, affiliate sales went up 35% in 2020. They'd been growing at a rate of about eight to 10% annually every year before and after. Mm. And then 2020 hit and they went up 35%. So yeah, it was uh, it was definitely, like I said, into being great for us financially. Wish it yeah. hadn't have happened, of course, but it did. And yeah, I mean, I would just say like the lesson there from a from a planning standpoint is, you know, from our standpoint, it's the same thing that you, you know, you hear from everybody else, right? Increase your cash reserves. That's yes. a big one. Have a plan in place. For us, it was, we needed a better, the one area where we really struggled in there was we needed not to be dependent upon big promotions, but we needed a better kind of evergreen you know, sales mm -hmm. drip. Can we just, can we bring in even a thousand dollars a day when we're not doing a heavy promotion? Mm -hmm. Now, granted that would have dropped down to less than a thousand dollars a day, clearly as people stop spending money, but like we could have had some plans in place for, okay, what if this were to have something, not, not a pandemic, who could have predicted that, but like, right. okay, something happens that affects our industry. Are there things that we can do? And so we do have plans in place. Like if something like that were to happen again, similar, do we have some lower price products that we could put out there? Do we have this or that? What can we do to serve the community that we serve better and things like that, that are in kind of in our boot, so to speak, mm -hmm. uh, the gun in the boot type philosophy. And it helps to have those in advance because then you can just go to them. Well, I certainly appreciate you sharing some of your leadership tips as well as some of your struggles. And if people want to know more about you, they can go to mattmcwilliams.com, but you're also known as the affiliate guy. So I know they can also go to the affiliate guy.com and you recently released a book so they can also go to Amazon and find your turn your passions into profits book. So thank you again for being part of the CEO of Blindspot show. Thanks for having me, Barry.